Hello and welcome to Dinesh Guarda, Cities ABC Open Business Council YouTube podcast series. We are a fast growing video channel and podcast platform that highlights uh, and profiles global thought leaders and inspiring people, CEOs, authors, technologists, academic people, and global experts changing and creating solutions for the world we live in. We highlight ideas, products, inventions, platforms, and especially software and books that uh, can look at solutions to the multiple challenges and opportunities we face in our cities and nations with the advent of Society 5.0, digital transformation, fourth industrial revolution, special emerging technologies that we are using today, directly and indirectly, from artificial intelligence to blockchain, fintech, and all the business tools that we use on a day-to-day, -day, from IoT to social media and so forth. This series and podcast YouTube channel are produced and distributed with our platforms citiesabc.com and openbusinesscouncil.org and they are syndicated on intelligenthq.com, fashionabc.org, edgefink.com and tradersdna.com. So today I have a fellow Portuguese, um, actually that is a citizen of the world, a bit like me. So we have José Graça, that is a, a, a person quite unique. Uh, so a serial entrepreneur and an active technologist, an expert in business tech and fintech for over 20 years. José Graça has built several companies from scratch to successful exits and has been formally active in retail, consumer products, and is as well the author of Kuka Business Fundraising for Dummies, which is an area that has been an expert helping uh, raise money for a lot of companies and investing himself, but as well as a, um, a serial entrepreneur. At the moment, uh, José is behind the new platform Bizmoney, that is a social market economy where you pioneer your business and your ideas, and he's going to be talking about that. And I think in terms of background, he's been living between Portugal and the Netherlands, actually grew up between the two countries, and has been living in over 10 countries and uh, uh, traveled of over 80 countries and 600 cities. And she's interesting that you are looking at the numbers of this. And as well, a very active business angel, consultant, mentor, and venture capitalist that has been working with the likes of the Portugal startup uh, ecosystem, but as well in uh, Netherlands, in Europe, and in the US. So welcome to our series, Jose. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, uh, Denise. Uh, pleasure is all mine, and I'm really happy to uh, be on your show today. I always try to go to the basis, to the foundations, and I think in your case, it's quite unique because uh, you have kind of two different cultures, so the Portuguese culture and the, ne the Dutch culture, the Netherlands, which is very different, and both in culture and ways of dealing, although there's a lot of cultural history relationships, but it's completely different and diam diametric in some ways. So can you tell us about that background and uh, your education, what made you who you are today? I think part of my uh, life uh, was basically uh, personal decision-making and uh, another part which basically I uh, was forced into it. So um, in essence, it's more or less like this. My, my dad uh, uh, was born more or less under the uh, fascist regime in Portugal and uh, he got a license to uh, leave the country to get, to get uh, a better life as many other Portuguese people that migrated. And um, by accident, we, we landed in the Netherlands in the, more or less in 1967. So it's quite a long time ago. 
Um, obviously, that was something that was not in my hands because I arrived uh, in the Netherlands when I was three years of age. And I rolled in into a what I call today a multicultural environment. And that multicultural environment more or less is like this. So when you are at home, you still have these, this traditional Portuguese education and the language, right? And your parents try to keep it alive. But once you step out of the door, then you are in a completely different environment, which is typical, let's say, uh, more Northern Europe, uh, more liberal and a different uh, way of thinking and lifestyle. So uh, up to my 30s, uh, basically, I was born in this environment. And I, I want to say that <clears throat> I studied initially, I, I wanted to become an archaeologist. So it has nothing to do with what I do today. And I had a passion for, um, for everything which was, let's say, history, because you can learn so much uh, from the past. And um, so my passion really was, you know, to become an archaeologist. And for that reason, I started, studied initially uh, geography, languages, um, and history. And halfway that process, or more, more or less, almost at the end, I realized that the, the, the life that I wanted to have would not be able with a uh, archaeology income. So I was thinking, okay, so what is going to enable the lifestyle that I want, right? And eventually I said, you know what, that's finance. So I moved my, uh, my focus to finance and um, started studying uh, business economy, business administration, uh, later on uh, accounting and also finance itself. And um, that had to be financed. Um, you know, my, my dad was, I come from a middle class uh, family, more or less. My dad was a welder and my mom was a cleaning lady because she could have no other job as an immigrant. Although she, she started to become a, uh, a stylist in Portugal. And um, I had to finance my studies and to be able to finance my studies, I went to work for the entertainment industry. Initially as a music player, I, I also played music on the street, so that's quite, <laughs> quite different. And um, eventually I rolled into radio and TV, you know, and that's how I studied, but um, financed my studies. But the outcome was that I had this focus that I wanted to become knowledgeable in building business. I didn't come from a family that had tradition in building business, not even the conditions to think about it. And I had in myself this blood to be an entrepreneur. I started my first small business when I was 16, 16 years of age with two other friends. You know, I built it up and kept it for two or three years. And, and I knew by then that building a business is really hard, really hard. And I can tell you that 40 years later of building businesses, building brands, and you made a very good introduction, um, it's still as hard as it was 40 years ago. So technology has changed a huge amount of things in our lives, uh, healthcare, um, also um, in government, etc. But for some reason, it still doesn't permit to uh, enable you or anybody that wants to have this lifestyle and has this dream to become a very fast business builder learner. Now, and this is the problem that uh, I'm focused to solve. And um, getting back to your initial question. So I um, studied uh, 
in this area. And eventually I um, started working for two big billion dollar companies. Uh, one was a Dutch company in aviation and the other one was a US corporation in the chemical industry. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where it all started. I, it was a very good learning school. Um, you know, I, I became a full-time accountant more or less and a finance person. And um, at a certain part of that stage, I realized that people that are entrepreneurs, they have a very special dream. And that special dream is to be able to take control over their own future and their own lifestyle. If you look at uh, the present generations, okay, I'm talking about millennials and the generation after millennials, right? It's the first generation, if you look deeper into it, and a lot of data available, if you look deeper into it, you see that they don't like to have a boss or being essentially working in a organization. They prefer to have a more centric lifestyle and more focused into themselves. And we can talk about this maybe a little bit further, depending on the, your questions. But um, in my case, I decided just to quit my job. I was a very successful finance guy. At the age of 26, I had an income of above 100,000 a year, which was quite a lot of money in the 1980s. And um, I gave it all up. Uh, I didn't know what to do after. I only knew that I wanted to have my freedom, decide my own future. And that the only way I would be able to accomplish that would be becoming an entrepreneur full-time. And the only way to become an entrepreneur full-time was basically, you know, quitting your job, right? So um, to survive, and that's the right term, I said, okay, let's start an accounting office because that was the easiest way for me to get the knowledge and the experience. So I had that accounting office for more or less one year. And then um, it was going quite, quite nicely. I couldn't make a huge amount of money. I can tell you that my income when I left my job went down like 70% from what I was earning before. So it was quite harsh. And um, after the accounting office, I had my own beer brand. I had my own shoe brand. I had my own cloning brand. I built even a uh, mountain bike brand because in the 1990s, the mountain bikes Started, started booming in the industry. It became very big at that moment. It was a quite a uh, big hype. And eventually in 1994, I had my first exit. I, I sold my, uh, my first company. And um, that's how it started uh, all. And uh, from there, I became a business angel. And from becoming a business angel, I learned something very interesting. It's the, the perspective, to see the perspective of an investor and an entrepreneur. Now, an entrepreneur, in essence, wants to build something. An investor wants to mitigate risk and take profits. Now, it's, it's obvious to understand that both investor and entrepreneur, their um, mindset is quite distanced from each other. And that's why it's so hard to match them together, having the same goals, the same uh, progress. And that changes from... Uh, let's say, um, investment range up to investment ranges. From seed, it's one thing. 
up to startup, you know, uh, early stage, etc. So um, it was a very nice um, learning curve that took a long time for me to understand uh, the becoming a professional investor and then compare it to become an entrepreneur, right? So at the end, I made the decision and uh, the decision was and still is today that I enjoy much being an entrepreneur than I ever enjoyed being an investor. For me, uh, unfortunately, that's what it is. Investing is more or less having a good nose because you don't know and you cannot control all the factors if that team and that business, even you do a good research and your due diligence, will really become a big hit. That's the issue. There are so many ingredients involved. In my opinion, an entrepreneur has more control over the whole process than any investor has because he controls all the bits and pieces um, of the ingredients, more or less. So I think it, I really like that. And I think it's really important for people to understand because we are in a, in a moment in history when I think everyone will have to survive as more or less being an entrepreneur or self-sustainable person because jobs for life don't exist anymore. And uh, any job will become much more a collaboration. We have to create this value. So I want to, before we go to other things, so um, I want to touch that part when you become an entrepreneur, when you lost, uh, well, actually it was your own decision to go out from a very comfortable job and very fantastic salary for the time that was probably unique in the world to become an entrepreneur and go for all the risks. I think I would like to touch that part because I think sometimes people, I think there's two ways of looking at entrepreneurs as the kind of the criminals that are very dodgy or hostiles, or at least very successful people, but they're already successful. You don't see how much they have to do to be successful. I think that part is particularly interesting and I would like to release them, especially because you've been doing a lot of things, a lot of companies, investing in companies, business angel, and helping a lot of companies getting funding. So I think that's, that, that's a trajectory that made who you are right now as well. So the, the big reason was I wanted to earn my freedom. Uh, that's the, the biggest um, attraction that it had. And with that freedom comes a different lifestyle. And with that lifestyle comes a different responsibility. Okay, because uh, one thing is for sure, having a job, I would say, is a thousand times more simpler than being an entrepreneur. And I think that's the part that nobody uh, really looks at it when they start. But I realized that society <clears throat> um, really has not been able to create an environment, although governments have been trying very hard to, um, to, to get it done, more or less, but society has not created the environment to enable these, um, let's call them founders, to become successful. Right, uh, we only hear about the success stories, but I can tell you the statistical data, and statistical data is more or less like this: a minimum of seventy-five percent of uh, founders or startups, you know, they don't reach twelve months of uh, survival, and only half a percent really gets to five years. Now, we all know that in present economy, the way it works, for you to be able to get to a stable position in a company, depending on the vertical that you're working on, typically it takes an X amount of years, like between two and five years, okay? These founders, they lack of two major ingredients that will not make it happen. Uh, so I can come up with probably another thousand um, 
other things, but the two major ingredients, in my opinion, after having studied it deeply is, first of all, they don't have the capital means to hold on, to bring that business forward. It's very underestimated the amount of money that you need to build that business and all the things that you need to invest in. Whatever you do, even if you bootstrap, right? Even fundraising costs money. I don't think people realize that raising funds costs money. You know, and you, if you don't have those funds to raise the money, then, you know, it's like almost mission impossible. Okay. The other ingredient that I have seen is that, unfortunately, those who have the dream, they are newcomers. The big majority is newcomer. So the learning curve and the amount of data that you need to manage, like I'm giving some example, accounting, human resource management, taxation, sales, procurement, you name it. You know, it's a never-ending story. There is no, nobody in this world, not even myself after 40 years, that is able to have the knowledge of everything, right? So the minimum knowledge that you need to acquire takes an X amount of years. So combine the two together and you understand that one is that they don't have time to get that knowledge because they're not able to finance it. And they're not able to build up that business because they also don't have the financial means to bring that business forward. So I think the outcome is, in best case scenario, that they just lose their money, okay? In worst case scenario is they, they go out and I strongly am against what I say, um, venture debt. Now, what is venture debt? Is that you go out, you take your credit card, right? And you take a personal loan to finance your venture. Now you must be very well secure. And I know that, you know, from personal experience, every entrepreneur is in love with his own project. Doesn't matter what it is, right? For him to open his eyes, you know, is really hard. So they are willing to take that risk. But the problem is that you know that the statistics tell you that it's going to get wrong, okay? And because it goes wrong, if you take debt, that money is spent, you probably don't have enough money even with that debt to, let's say, at least reach break-even point and get a little bit to profits. So you become uh, more or less bankrupt because after things close down for you, you still need to pay that debt up. Now, and you don't have money to pay that debt up. Okay, so this is really bad for society, I can tell you that. So what they need is uh, basically funds, equity. But when you go out and raise funds, right, and you need to understand an investor's mindset, they want to invest in something that binks, can, can be able, to, you would be able to convert very fast Okay, and a high percentage because they know they're going to lose money on an X amount of investments. And eventually one or two investments will make it up for everything. So they are looking for uh, projects that are hype, they're in, they have a more or less a global uh, scope. They are not traditional business in general. It's all about innovation and very fast converting. Now, if it's not that, then it's running businesses which are profitable and they put in their investments and they know that their risk is, uh, let's say, very low. So 99% at least of all these business startups, they don't fall in the investment criteria of professional investors because 
like I did, you know, when I was 26, you don't have the experience. What you do is you build up a business that more or less you understand. It's not about innovation. Okay. And society, governments, you know, have not been able to come up with a solution that tackles this problem. Now, I can tell you that two in every 10 global citizens, okay, suffer from this. So it's a big, big social global problem. And it doesn't exempt any country. All countries, you know, are more or less in the same scope. Some a little bit worse, some a little bit better, but this is what it is. Um, I've been working in the last uh, five years, more or less, uh, more intensively in the last uh, two and a half years to solve this problem. Because I feel that um, my career highlights, I would like to um, be known as the person that basically has solved this issue. And if I'm able to solve it, you know, that will impact uh, millions of people all around the globe. And eventually, uh, we came up with a solution that works. Okay. And um, the solution more or less is like this. We built a virtual decentralized social market economy. Okay. It's fully digital. It works like a layer on top of the existing economy. It doesn't change the existing economy. No, it's not possible for you to change the economy. What it is, it's possible for you to speed up the economy, get those processes much and much more efficient, right? And with the outcome, this is the result that you want to achieve, that you're able to get this learning curve down from those two to five years to, let's say, six months period. And at the same time that you get that learning curve down, you also give them a real-time environment, right? That they can experience, you know, real-time business, how to do it, okay? Without the need of burning their cash. Now, once that efficiency starts working for you, let's say that you would be able to speed up the economy like a thousand times or a hundred, then your operational cost goes down drastically. And in the, in the case that we studied, the operational cost goes down from 40 up to 70%, okay? So that means that the profitability of that business, which needs to be financed out of your free cash flows, suddenly starts working. Now, if you have enough free cash flows, right? There's money that is not tied to anything, it's just free. And you can take that money every month and you can pour it back into your business, then suddenly some miracle happens. And the miracle is like this. You don't need to go out for fundraising and you don't need to go out for debt. At least not at the initial stage where your risk is the highest, okay? Eventually, when you want to grow your business faster or you want to expand, then you go out to raise those funds or you take debt. And that's fine because you can pay that back you know, out of your free cash flows, okay? So until you are not able to, to, to generate those free cash flows, you should never get into any debt. So there are 13,000 chambers of the commerce worldwide, okay? At least some of the numbers. There's 7,000 business incubators and accelerators, okay? And then when you go to companies, uh, which is probably even the most uh, uh, probably demanding, we're talking about potentially around 430 
million SMEs or micro SMEs. Okay, and then for instance, from these probably 5% or 10% are public companies, okay? Especially for us in the UK, there's close to 6 million SMEs and startups. Um, and from these, there's around close to 2 million listed companies, which are um, some of them small, others quite big. But the challenge is that, so we have in one end this, in one end we have then five or six corporations that are right now digital platforms similar to what you described in a lot of ways. For instance, if you look at Alibaba, it's very similar to what you described. It's a marketplace to digital, but it's done from a centralized point of view and not trying to empower the business, just highlighting tools for the business. And if you look at Amazon, um, it started as a, an e-commerce platform for books and it became the biggest uh, e-commerce and as well fintech player in the planet and the biggest corporation in the planet by, by a lot of layers, uh, especially in the Western world. And if you look at China, you have Tencent and um, Alibaba with Unfinancial that become right now the biggest. And then, of course, you have in the second layer platforms like Apple, uh, Microsoft um, and the likes of, uh, well, IBMs and so forth that are quite big or Salesforce. So the challenge to build something like what you try to do, especially if you want to do it in an empowerment way, uh, and it's partly a vision that I share, is how can we get, first of all, this 430 billion million business that are mostly offline, we're talking about probably 80 to 90%, I would say 90% don't even have a website. Okay, in the UK alone, there was a study saying that from the 6 million SMEs, around 70 or 68% don't have a website. And, and even with my students in the past, and we did an analysis to agencies, just I'll finish with this. We did a study to the top 100 digital, I'm talking digital agencies in the UK, and after the 10 or 15 or 21st agencies, most of them had a website that was a disgrace. Okay, I'm talking about digital agencies that are selling digital services. And this is UK. Okay, I'm not talking about any economy. So it's a big bold, but I want to go through this. And I know that you, you are a very ambitious person, but as well, you've been doing a lot of your homework. So I would like to hear how you tackle these issues, because this is, I think, probably any government should be listening to this and trying to learn. <laughs> well, first of all, I would like to say that the UK is the, the only country in the world that has the highest density of uh, small and micro companies in the world. So that would be for us the, um, the best um, country to, to start. Um, and um, the question that you place is very good, but I think um, there is something that is overlooked. And the biggest issue that is overlooked is the following. All these big players that you mentioned, they don't run a social market economy. They are players in that social market economy. What they have done is they have taken a piece of that social market economy and created a way that they attract people into an environment that is more or less controlled because most of these companies, they don't have the available financial means to go individually. Okay, so, so that's point number one. So if you would like to build something as we have done, then you need to look uh, much and much broader. You need to look that you need to have a marketplace, you need to have a social, uh, a social network, you need to have a messenger system, you need to have a bank, and you need to have a completely business process automation system, which in a sense is more or less your ERP, right? And this is the minimum that you need to be able to run a social market economy. Now, if we look at these big players, 
right? Although they have an effort to get more or less step-by-step into what I described, they are far away, okay, from being able to do this, right? They either have, let's say, let's look at Amazon as an example. You know, they they essentially are logistics, you know, and they have this this marketplace, right? But um, they are starting now into finance, but there's still a lot of ingredients that are not available in their setup. And if you look at Alibaba, it's the same. If you look at Shopify, it's the same. If you look at PayPal, it's the same. So uh, for us to be able to run this, you would be having the need to more or less join them all together in one umbrella, okay? And then it brings you into a big problem because as we know, they all compete for market shares, right? All over the globe. So um, it's very hard to understand all the, the macro and, the, and the, the, the micro setup of the of this puzzle. But what I can tell you is that um, we have achieved it. Now, the question is, and you, you pointed out quite well, is how are we going to get all these um, individuals, right, into the um, platform to start building up this virtual economy, okay? So, it's, it's, it's quite simple in, in essence. There is no um, secret about this. So let me put it like this. The numbers that you mentioned are quite good. They, they are realistic. And there's only one add-on that I would like to, to do is the following, that uh, we don't have 440 million uh, companies. Those are the official ones incorporated. The estimate is that we have more or less like 800 million of which 440 million are incorporated. So the problem is much bigger than, than it is. Yeah. On top of that, okay, we have 430 million unemployed, permanent unemployed citizens in the world with no perspective at all for any type of job. You know, it doesn't matter what age they are, right? And this problem will only get worse in the next coming 10 years because although it's very good that we're going to have a huge amount of things embedded into the 4.0 industrial revolution that is going on and the machine learning and the artificial intelligence, you know, and the data, I always say that data is the the new oil, right? And a friend of mine always says that, um, you know, uh, artificial intelligence is the new electricity, okay? So if, if you look at that problem, then you also, it's easy to imagine that we are not going to get 430 million unemployed. We probably are going to get more close to a billion people unemployed because suddenly those um, robotized functions like a cab driver, a bus driver, you know, I'm just touching transportation as an example. They are going to be replaced. Okay, you don't need, you have autonomous vehicles. So you, you will not need to have human, um, you know, a chauffeur anymore, right? But I, I can tell you that a few years ago, I tried a Tesla um, and I went from Cascais, which is a very nice place in Lisbon, up to the airport without touching anything in the car, fully automatic. I just put in a Lisbon airport, okay? And I didn't accelerate. I didn't stop the car, right? I didn't even indicated the speed, it was always running at the minimum, uh, let's say, or the maximum um, um, permitted speed. And it drove me completely to the airport. I was just sitting doing nothing. So this is not dreaming or new technology. This is technology which is existing and it's getting better and better and it will happen. 
just a question of time. Okay. So the problem is much bigger. And the problem is so big that every year from the 45 million, okay, uh, let's say newcomers, right, more or less 40 million just don't make it. Now, if you would be able to just help 1 million of these companies, okay, then you are already talking about the next billion dollars a year because the problem today uh, on a global uh, way is more or less 20 trillion US dollars a year recurring. That's the problem we are facing. And the loss that we have is more or less between four and six trillion dollars. Now, nobody wants to get involved with these gentlemen because all of them know that they are not going to survive. That's the point. So all the economy that we uh, were talking about before, they more or less touch running businesses that already are more or less stable and the running existing economy. Now, there is one challenge is getting those guys into the uh, new economy. And there's another challenge getting the newcomers into this economy. Now, the early adopters will essentially be the newcomers because they have nothing. They have nothing to fear. They are um, a younger generation. who also are going to face a generation change. Remember that in five years, millennial generation is going to take over more or less from generation X, right? The baby boomers basically are getting out. And the millennial generation is a generation which has a different mindset, okay? Once you understand the mindset and you understand what they want, and today, although individually, they have less buying power compared to a baby boomer, combined, they already account for 70% of all consume, more or less, today in, in the world. In five years, they're really going to take over, not only in consume, but also in management positions and decision-making positions. And that will change the economy much faster, put it into an um, acceleration process that we um, don't see today. Now, on top of this, we are um, more or less on the edge of a breaking revolution. And uh, that breaking revolution is called quantum computing. We have been talking about it now for 20 years, more or less. Um, I know that in, you know, military environment, it's already running for a long time. But it has not been adopted for uh, individuals or citizens. Once that starts taking off, then suddenly your smartphone, right, you know, compared to what you have today, will be like, almost unlimited. It's nothing compared what you have in computing power, okay? And with the, um, I would say 5G is, you know, is, um, is a joke, right? 5G, you know, now is, is like the ultimate technology, right? But uh, for sure, probably we'll, we'll, we'll need to think about 10G. Once, once you think about 10G and you have this quantum computing, then suddenly like three things will happen. First is that, Artificial intelligence will take over, definitely. Because there's no way humans can do what machines can do, the speed they can do it, right? Humans are made to develop soft skills, not for pr productive environment. Yes, we place them in, the, in that setup, 
but in essence, they should not be put in that in that uh, environment. Humans are creative uh, animals, right? Are creative beings. They should be put, you know, into a creative environment. And uh, Einstein said it very well. You know, real intelligence. You know, it's not about memorizing things. It's coming up with solutions. That's where the real intelligence lies. And that's where we humans are very good in. So we come up with the solutions. We have the machine power to support us, okay, to make it happen much faster. Like we have a car to get us from A to B much faster than we can ever walk or run, okay? So it's a hand-in-hand -hand, uh, future that we are, we are facing. Now, um, besides the artificial intelligence and the machine learning, there is one thing that we can um, um, not um, oversee is that um, virtual reality will become a standard. And we all know the movie Matrix. I'm not saying that we're going to get into that type of environment, but uh, we're going to get very close, okay, to that type of, of things, like experience lifestyle. Right? It means that the whole housing concept that we have today is really outdated. You know, it needs to move forward. It's not acceptable anymore that you are living in a very small space environment without, you know, um, I would say good living conditions because COVID has taught us a very hard lesson. And um, one thing is that nothing will be the same after COVID, for sure. And it has forced us, you know, to live in a, in a more limited space it has forced us to give another different of social interaction, which is a digital one like we have now today. And it also teached us that if we want to be more efficient, it doesn't make any sense for us to constantly travel to another place just to have a chat with somebody, right? If we want to do it for pleasure, that's fine. But efficiency-wise, you know, it, it really doesn't make any, any, uh, any sense. So why are we going to sit every day like we have done now moving metal from one place to another when i say moving metal is the cars they're made of metal and rubber and plastic right so we, we are moving metal plastic you know and, and rubber all day in huge amount of tons okay every day for like one and a half hour in the morning one and a half hour in the afternoon it's not efficient it consumes a lot of energy and it makes you lose a lot of time so why are you putting people in an office space, right? If they can become much more efficient, just working remotely. So we're talking about macro, macroeconomics, macro jobs, macro trends, and a lot of different things. But the reality is much more complex. And the reality actually, um, I've been having some interviews that have been actually helping me understand this. But for instance, one of the things we need to consider is the digital divide. And I think you touched that, and we touched that before. But the point is that, one thing is the digital divide. The other thing is the financial empowerment, which you touch as well. I think it's very good because one thing is the micro uh, SMEs or, or SMEs that exists. The other thing is the ones that are really like one person. For instance, like I love the book of um, Richard Branson in his bio where he said that uh, he went uh, to Africa and uh, there was this lady that appeared and um, asked for a loan to him and they gave her like, $100 and I think his team was trying to block. But in, when he came back, that person actually created an entire ecosystem around the village building just clothes or, or, or sewing or whatever. But I think the point here is, is really that uh, from actually theory and from a strategy, I think we are all aligned. Okay. And I think uh, there is no doubt. And of course, 
I think you or me are aligned. The rest of the world is not aligned. I think there's a lot of challenge to just even to, to discuss what we do here and to just face it because the problem right now is countries are not facing it. Just look at the US, uh, which is the biggest economy in the world, the second biggest economy right now, but it's completely self-destructing itself. Taking the politics out are really completely non-scientific, non-very basic facts-based, but you still have a huge part of the population that votes for something that is kind of a, some kind of dystopian utopia. And I think I'm not going political, I'm talking purely about facts, because in the end of the day there are facts and facts. But the, but the challenge is that we have a huge complexity of geopolitics, cultures, um, even the way we look at ethics, for instance, we talk about AI that you mentioned, and AI has a huge consideration when it comes to, especially the way you program AI and the way you plan. And I think it's going to be much more disrupted than electricity. I think uh, electricity didn't fought for themselves and the AI is going to think for themselves. And it's already thinking, like you mentioned, for the, the self-driven car of Tesla and even uh, uh, well, Elon Musk has been alerting for that. And uh, IMA as well, one of the homes that I have a lot of uh, being built technology and as well being working with machines. I am very nervous about that because if, if we manage to disrupt the entire world just using social media and psychometrics, imagine what we can do in the next five years uh, where we can actually look at uh, uh, a lot of other things that we cannot do right now or we can, but it's going to be more scalable. So, my question is coming back to this practicality and I know that you are a man of action. Um, I think your experience in, in raising money and uh, substantial money that you raise, you help a lot of companies is the challenge is how we can actually create this ecosystem. Okay. Within the tools we have. And as well, if you look at the digital world at the moment, there's a monopoly of Facebook and Google. I'm talking about, I'm not, and as well, of course, if you go to the e-commerce world, at least in the Western world, we have a monopoly of, of, of uh, Amazon. So this is not a simple task here. It's, it's quite complex. And as well, of course, every country has their own regulatory part. And unless you are a global player with billions of dollars of funding, you cannot move fast. And if you look from the beginning of the internet, and I think this is important to say, so for instance, um, Amazon was 18 years without making money. Okay. And the only platform that survived from the beginning of the internet in its strength as an independent platform, it was Wikipedia, which is still one of the biggest platforms in the world and is still probably the only decentralized platform partly. It managed to keep autonomy, scientific input. At the moment, it's actually considered better at Wikipedia in general in terms of scientific input than even the, the, the Britannia Encyclopedia, which was the, ben, the benchmark before that. So. I just want to understand this and I'm provoking you in a constructive way because I think we all learn about this is about, uh, I think is as we demystify, I want to understand how you would think to tackle this because you need a huge amount of funding, a huge amount of community, which is probably more important than the funding and as well an ecosystem that you have to build digital and offline. There, there are different solutions, right? It's all about creativity, but I would, I would like to, uh, let's say, say, say a sentence from Einstein once more. Einstein always said that um, imagining is, is, is easy. The hard part is execution. Okay. And um, business or entrepreneurship in essence is about execution, right? So you can have an idea that's all fine. It doesn't build anything. The idea is just what it is. Once it comes to the execution, that's the hard part. So there are, funds available okay and there are conditions available and i don't think things uh, will take that long because 
uh, we are always thinking about how things work in our generation. Okay, so baby boomers will think in one way, you know, the, the X generation will think in another way, and the millennials will think in another, and the I will think in another. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is there is a shift, and every time that that shift takes place, the impact is much and much bigger, right? So we are talking now is the X generation going on, but in five years, that X generation, you know, is going to make place definitely for the millennials, and they have a different way of looking at things. They want to change. They want to have the, 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 the environment that they live in, in their lifestyle, not in the X or the baby boomer lifestyle, which is normal, right? So looking at that point, right, I'm always, in the, in the beginning when the internet started, everybody was saying, think local, act global, right? That was the, the slogan, right? And what I'm saying today is like this, look, think global and act local. That's the shift. So we went from local to global, and now we're going from global to local. That means that whatever happens global, okay, you interact locally, right? And in, in a thousand or two thousand or a million spots, it doesn't matter, right? So uh, this is what's happening, right? I'm much more optimistic about... Um, what's going to happen. And most of the big companies that were mentioned today, they didn't exist 20 years ago, right? Or 25. So uh, look at history, right? You had empire civilizations that were built up, they had their height and then they were gone. I, I have no doubt at all that we can even face one day that today Amazon or, or Alibaba is one of the biggest companies and we can even see, you know, that suddenly, you know, they, are wiped out from the map. It's possible. Look, could, could anybody imagine, as an example, that these big aviation companies, that, you know, they cost, you know, huge amount of billions of dollars, right, to run, that suddenly they would stand still one year, right? It's a, it's a big shift, right? And they would go down. So everything is possible. What I can tell you is that, what I see is that, Amazon definitely is not the last. Alibaba is not the last. There will come something new, okay, that will replace them. And what I can tell you is that under the present circumstances with the technology that we have and all the conditions, they will do it in half the time that it took Alibaba or Amazon, half the time to become as big as they are today, okay? So uh, because the whole environment that we have access to every individual, right? And I'm just touching the smartphone. Everybody has one smartphone, more or less. You know, the real network in the world is your smartphone. Everybody's connected to the smartphone. So for you to get to somebody, right, with a new product, which is innovative, has a huge acceptance, you name it, you know, it's quite easy. You don't need to go to that harsh initial curve that Amazon had to go through and Facebook. Remember that Facebook had a hard time to get all, the, all their um, customers on board initially. They had to do those parties, et cetera, et cetera. Because technology and the, the adherence to technology was not what it is today. The penetration was different. I completely agree with you. And they've been seeing that. For instance, TikTok uh, reached $1 billion faster than a lot of stuff. But of course, you have to see that that happened because TikTok had uh, Tencent group behind it. So it didn't happen by accident. 
a lot of these things don't happen by accident. So the challenge right now, and I think uh, looking at the empowerment, which we talk in the other day, we talk about financial empowerment, business empowerment. We have, a, I think, a challenge of massive divide. Okay, so we have all these fantastic things, but the divide is more in the sense that we achieved all this digital transformation, which is, to be honest, and I mean, to be fair, I think in the last uh, uh, 100 years, we achieved more than the last 40 million years, um, 40, yeah, 40,000 years actually from the evolution of Homo sapiens, so 42,000 years or something like that, according to sapiens. Um, but I think at the same time, we have, let's say, beginning of the, the 19th century, we had like uh, probably 60, no, 90% of the population that was in over extreme poverty. Right now, we have 11%. But then we have 1% or 0.1% that have more control than the rest of the 90%. So that's another paradox that we have right now. So how do you see this in the day-to-day operations? Because I think what I like about your work and your, um, as well, thesis is that you are building this and the vision is fantastic. And as well, you are doing it because you are already helping companies, engaging accelerators, in investors. So some concrete things on that level, because I think that is, for me, key, and I think for everyone listening to us. Okay, so uh, we, I think we have some unique things that uh, is new to this new uh, generation. First of all, we were a fully 100% decentralized company from day one. There was nobody in the office. Nobody goes to the office from day one, right? We have about 45 people working today. So I'm talking about biz money. Um, which is completely full, fully decentralized. We have people all over the place. We, we recruit them where we feel they have the best, best price offer and where they have the best knowledge. So we are not bounded by borders or you know, whatever it is. Although we are a US corp and we are obliged to, to follow the US regulations, which we do, and it makes sense. But um, a, as a operational, you know, we decided that you know, we, we are fully decentralized. Now, that's one thing. Another thing is that I told you, two in every 10 global citizens have a dream. They are not able to fulfill that dream. And once they start working on that dream, they come to a conclusion that it's all about teamwork, right? And all about the financial capacity that you have. So in that essence, what we have done is we will, we were able to build up this team, which has spent more or less like, you know, don't, don't get impressed, 240,000 working hours, 240,000 working hours, okay, without taking one penny in payroll, right? And that's unique. And all our staff members are shareholders in the same company. So everybody that is coming to uh, work with this money, okay, they automatically become a shareholder because we want to have a commitment that they stand behind the company and it's a new type of uh, life, life culture or business cultures, as you want to name it. Now, if you combine this, still we need to raise funds, of course, you know, um, but compared to what you normally should do, I can tell you that we reduce the fundraising needs by 70%. Because payroll, especially in the startup phase or at the beginning, consumes a lot of your uh, your fundraising, okay. So, uh, so there are some things that can be done, right? And I believe strongly that, um, and I'm going to repeat myself once more, that this millennial generation is the generation 
that is going to make that shift very, very fast. They're going to start building businesses because they have this dream and they are willing to work for that dream and make it happen, right? And that's where you're going to see the big shift changes that suddenly from nothing, right? Imagine if you could have bundle 1 billion people or 1 million people or even 100 people working on one goal, right? And achieving an objective without taking uh, any payroll up front, but getting that payout uh, later on, okay? I can tell you it's possible. And um, uh, we have a, a real case study that it's happening. Um, and of course, um, we, we, we raise funds because eventually you need to buy licensing and a lot of other things. But um, that amount of funds that comes in is you can much you can you're much better in a negotiable position because you bootstrapped much longer. Okay. And investors, you need to understand their mindset. They want to get into a company that has it built up, that has a team, you know, a good team, and also that has revenue generation. That's what they want. They want to minimize their risk as much as possible. Okay. And uh, entrepreneurs, you know, they want to just to get their dream done. You know, they have that focus, you know, to, to get it done. So um, there is a lot of money available on the market. And there are solutions today. I think I like the way you're trying to build the ecosystem. Um, of course, the digital part is probably the biggest challenge. And, and as well, bringing that ecosystem of digital is key. Um, so I think as a wrap up, I think we passed already one hour. Um, so, and I think that this has been quite a great workshop because I think your insights are quite unique, especially from the angle of uh, understanding really the deep part of the business world, which is, I think, the biggest challenge. But as well, this touches governments, big corporations, but as well, it's a great opportunity for everyone involved. So one of the questions I have, probably uh, one of the last ones. So in terms of uh, what are you trying to do with the platform? And I think the platform uh, goal. So how do you see the roadmap right now? Because building a platform like this and the ambition that you have, you touch some of the areas, but I would like to know how you take the biz money. How can people engage or, or at least know more about this money and how can... Uh, people getting involved as well, because I, I think you're trying to build something similar to Wikipedia, but more with a marketplace component. So first of all, if, if you want to know more about this money, then I, I would recommend that you go to our website, which is B-I-Z-M-O-N-E, bizmoney.com. And then you can also go to uh, LinkedIn and go to the uh, company uh, webpage, or you can search uh, uh, for me, which is Jose Graca, uh, in, inside LinkedIn, and I'm, I'm an open networker, so you are always welcome. Mm -hmm. So th that that would be the first thing. And then the second thing is that we, are going, we already have a beta launch date, um, and that will happen more or less in about uh, six to 12 months uh, from now. So what we are doing now is we are onboarding um, beta uh, users. Um, once those beta users uh, are on board, then we will decide to go with a closed loop uh, beta environment or only those who were subscribed for the beta version will be able to test it and download it. Um, the software today, the prototype is already tested out. It's, it's running. So we achieved that. And um, 
you know, we, we are on, on that road, roadmap to, to make it happen. And uh, we have a plan. I, I cannot reveal, obviously, sensitive uh, data, but we have a plan to, to get a huge, massive amount of people on top of this money, especially those who are neglected. Because you have a huge amount of people in the world that are completely neglected, that are not able to build their dream. That's the issue. Nobody wants to deal with them because they're considered high risk. Now, in our case, right, business money looks at it completely different. We are here to guide you and to help you. Okay, we sorry, we, we, we want to make some money with you, but it's not our main goal, right? First, we guide you and we help you. Once you start making money on a performance basis, then it's when we start making money. So we don't ask you any money up front. We don't ask you anything. What we do is we put you in the system. We guide you free of charge. We make you, uh, let's say, that business up to a certain point that it becomes sustainable. Now, that curve, right, we reduced it from an X amount of years to six months. So once you pass that six months curve, uh, in a real-time environment, then you start seeing money coming into your account. Once you see that money coming into your account, that's the moment that you are going to give us a very tiny percentage, and it's about a half a percent. Now, not even a credit card costs half a percent okay, on a transaction. I'll just give it as an, as an example. So we, we are having a real fair system, and uh, that fair system means that we don't care about race, culture, origin, you know, color, whatever you name it. We only care about, you know, giving people the ability to become and making that dream of becoming a small business owner. It's not about innovation. It's about you becoming a business owner, small, typical micro business for you to learn, kick off, being able to sustain yourself. And from there, once you know it, then you make the decision what you want to do next. But we helped you in that first stage. And that first stage on a global scale, right, is 45 million individuals every year. So I want to thank you, Jose. I think there's a, I have a lot of questions. I think we'll take it for a second uh, workshop or um, video interview because I want to have one probably just focus about, I think we need to have a, a video to be probably in the context of the Open Business Council Summit about, this parts of uh, how to empower these 800 million people that you're talking about. I think, and I think to this, I think uh, dismantle the complexity around these things and actually just go through that. I even create some videos explaining these things because I think we can actually help a lot of people. So I wish you all the best. We're going to put all these links for both the Bismoni and to all the different platforms. Just one question. How did the name come Bismoni? It's just any oh, particular. To be honest with you, I, I came up with a name. Uh, because I have been building brands. But in essence, when we were thinking about it, and one day it just came to my mind that it's, it's, it's a cycle, it's a life cycle, right? There is no way you can make money without generating business. So, you know, business comes first and then comes the money. So that's how we combine it together, you know, generate business, generate money, and uh, eventually become business money. I like that. Okay, very good. So, Jose, I want to thank you for all these excellent insights. I'm still digesting a lot of these things. I think we're going to get much more, uh, but I wish you all the best and success for the project. And of course, count on us to help you making this a, a dream a success and as well a reality. I think we thank all need it. Thank you, Denise. In the name of BizMoney, myself, and uh, uh, you know, those millions that are out there that we want to get uh, into business inclusion, I, I really thank you for this opportunity. Thank you so much. No, thank you. I thank you.